Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday. I can't believe it's December already. December 1st. Do you have your Christmas shopping done yet? Probably not. We are here live. We've got a very special guest joining us today, and the first hour is all about taxes. So I will warn you right now, for the first hour, we are taking calls. In fact, line them up right now. But we're taking calls about taxes only. Um, after the first hour, we will uh, continue on with the free-for-all. But right now, we have got a great resource here. Uh, you know, I, I've been working on taxes and tax issues for owner-operators since the early 90s. I used to love the fact that I could answer most of the questions. And if I didn't have an answer right away, I could go get one pretty quickly. Uh, at some point I gave up on that. It is just, it's a full-time job trying to keep up with taxes and all the issues and the constant changes. And, uh, so I defer to the experts, the people who do this every day. Now I, I can still answer a lot of the basic questions, but I find myself more and more often, um, with tax questions, kind of hesitating and saying, I'm just not sure about that. So we, uh, we defer to the experts on this, and we've got one here with us today. In fact, it is our accountant and tax preparer. So if you've got tax questions, and I know you do, I get them all the time. Call me up now. Now is your time. So we'll, uh, we'll get started. I want to bring in Travis Adamson, and uh, we'll talk about some things you should know, should be doing, uh, and then we'll take specific questions. So go ahead and line those up. Phone lines are open. Calls are already starting to come in. That's awesome. Um, 855-950-3835. Let's welcome in Travis. Travis, welcome. Thank you, Kevin. How you doing? Good. Great to have you here. I, I understand you're a little under the weather today. You don't sound so bad. Well, yeah, that's true. I'm getting over a cough. Uh, hopefully I don't uh, cough all over you and your listeners. But yeah, that's true. We but it could be intentional. You know, I've, I've got kind of a nasally drone to begin with. Ah, so okay. Today, uh, getting over this cough. I'm trying to keep up with you. Got it. Extra thick and rich voice. Uh, got it. Okay. Well, don't worry about infecting us. I have uh, masks on my earphones. <laughs> oh, good. And good. I, I'm positive I that masks protect us from all this stuff. I'm sure of it. That's what we've been told. Yeah, that's what we've been told. We probably shouldn't get started on that, though, should we? We should probably talk about taxes because that, yeah, it, it, that's why we've got is, you here. Is this an episode of The Pit? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's just jump right in. We've already got some calls, so we'll get to those. Uh, we've committed this first hour to just tax issues and tax questions. I'm sure you and I could fill the whole hour if we wanted to, but uh, I would love to get to specific calls. Like, like I said there at the open, um, I, I used to love doing this. In fact, this was this topic was how I got started in radio. This was the my first mm -hmm. kind of invitation to go on a trucking radio show was to talk about taxes, and it's what I did for the first couple of years as a guest. Um, but at some point, uh, when 
our taxes got too complicated for me to keep up with. We started looking for somebody else. And then I just realized I just didn't have the time to keep up with this. It, 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 um, it can get pretty complicated, you know, and it wasn't, Oh yeah, it, yeah. It just wasn't right for me to keep trying to answer these questions when I wasn't doing the research and I didn't know for sure. So, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out today and coming on and helping us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So, when it comes to, uh, and actually, we have two different groups we need to talk about. I think one these days is fairly simple. So let's start with that. Um, employee drivers in trucking. Um, you know, the last tax law change, um, President Trump's tax law change, really hurt company drivers. Uh, it wasn't intentional. They were really trying to simplify the tax code, and I really kind of like what they did, honestly. Got rid of all the crazy itemized deductions that were all over the place and, you know, gave a bigger standard deduction. Um, but, you know, the law of unintended consequences, it hurt trucking pretty bad. I mean, that, that uh, the per diem deduction for employee drivers was a very large deduction um, for almost all of them, oh, yeah. bigger than their mortgage interest, you know, bigger than real estate tax, charitable contributions, many times bigger than all three put together. And it basically got wiped out, right? That's right. Yeah, it was a casualty of keeping the act uh, revenue neutral. And they knew that there are certain industries that have these large unreimbursed employee expenses that, uh, you know, saves, you know, just a sliver of taxpayers, a lot of tax, but those went on the chopping block uh, in exchange for kind of the business tax cuts that corporations and uh, self-employed or S-corp owners uh, received. So, yeah, that's that's kind of an unfortunate uh, byproduct of, of where we were. And so what we've seen is, you know, you've seen more people get into the gig economy, right? Right. Because that's more reward now. You know, of course, now a, they're going back the other way. That's and, a good point. <laughs> Yeah. Making it harder. Yeah. I, actually, I, I did a recording just about a half hour ago that will show up later on the app. Uh, I do a comment. I try to do a commentary every day. I missed two days this week, so tried to make up for it a little today. And I talked about the, the gig economy laws that they're pushing so hard, even at the federal level now, um, really trying to regulate the gig economy. New York City just came out with a crazy um, – proposition that actually creates a minimum wage for these people. Uh, it, they're, they're totally screwing up what I think was an awesome opportunity for people. Nobody says you have to go do this to try to I raise agree. a family. But, but there are so many people who have found that this is a great way to add some in. I, and I do know people who are, are living on this. They're, they're doing pretty well, actually, if they're good at it. And other people use it as a great supplemental income. You can't treat these people like employees. Some of them only work once a month. Right, right. And it's not just the, the workers to think of. I mean, think how much easier it is to get a ride anywhere oh, yeah. in any city with Uber yeah. than it used to be just with taxis. Exactly. And you're going to screw with all of that. It's not just the workers who get hurt. It's the consumer. You know, that's a good point. This totally changed my behavior when I traveled. When I used to travel... 
I hated taxis, absolutely hated them to the point where I would get a rental car no matter how much trouble it was. And a lot of times it's a pain (laughs) getting the car, you know, then I have to drive all over a place that I'm not familiar with. So, you know, you're constantly dealing with that. Then you got to take it back and it's got to be filled up and then you got to get a shuttle. What a pain. But I would do that over taxis because I hated them. As soon as I started with Lyft, um, I kind of boycotted Uber because I didn't like what they were doing in trucking. So um, I went with Lyft. I I love that service. Absolutely love it. And I haven't rented a car in years because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a great thing for kind of all parties so far. But uh, if they try to kind of step on you know, workers' ability to do that or businesses' ability to provide an opportunity for workers to do that, then it, it could hurt everyone. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been uh, part of the reason I cover that is because I think that trend it, it will, will kind of migrate into trucking. It already has with laws like AB5 in California, and they've tried to push that federally, um, which would make independent contracting virtually disappear in trucking. Uh, if they were to to get those kind of things through, and they're they're pushing hard, so these are almost like you know parallel tracks. They're coming after both of these issues. Um, real quick, I, I want to get your opinion on this, just with your background. Um, the argument that the gig companies have made in California, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, the, the argument is centered on, is this person an employer, an independent contractor? And we've been going back and forth on that for decades. And these companies stepped up and said, wait a minute, that's the wrong argument completely. As far as we're concerned, they're not employees or independent contractors. They're our customers. We provide software. They use our software. They're, they're, they have nothing to do with us as far as employees or independent contractors. They, they use our software and they run a business with it. I, thought that, I think that's a brilliant argument. I agree. Yeah, I mean, let's get out of kind of the, the question that's – it's always going to be a tough question, right? That right. first question, independent contractor versus employee. There's all these factors to consider. And it, they're always going to make it tough because like you say, and like we talked about who wins when, when workers lose the flexibility of being their own entity, right? Well, the taxing entity wins. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the government you're playing against the stack deck when yeah. you, when you get into those questions eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the IRS. It, it's, you know, we have state agencies, we have workers comp, we, we've got all these, and now you're talking about 48 different states and the whole thing is a mess. We've got the 21 question test. We've got the Department of Labor trying to come up with their new definition. And it really is uh, kind of a disaster. So I think if these gig companies can can really push that argument that, look, they're neither one. They're just our customers. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It is a great place to start. All right. So um, what is there really to talk about when it comes to taxes and employee drivers? Anything we should know? Uh, uh, I mean, 
if you can just get reimbursements is what I usually tell clients, you know, work with your employer to see if you can get tax-free reimbursements. That's really the only thing that you can do as a company driver, as a W-2 employee now with your expenses related to your business. You can start a different business where you might have some common expenses and deduct them, you know, as, you know, a self-employed driver. But if you're just a company driver, there's really no way for you to take advantage. Got it. So two really good points I want to cover there. One, the idea of per diem reimbursement. And there are a lot of carriers in trucking that do it. I wish we would see a lot more. I wish everybody would just go to it. We actually work with a company that promotes that and has software to make it easy to track. And, um, you know, we're a big proponent of that. In essence, if a carrier does that, this tax law change actually became a huge benefit for employee drivers. They get the um, upgraded standard deduction, which was a good thing, but they it, they traded off that big deduction of per diem. But if they can get it back as a reimbursement, it really is kind of a win for them at that point. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You'd rather have a, a tax-free reimbursement versus a deduction every time. Yeah, so you're you're giving the exact same advice I had. Get get together with other drivers at your company. Start to talk to the company about um, a per diem program. Is there any big downside to the carrier doing this? I know it's a, it's a little more admin work. They've got to balance out that they lose a little bit of their deduction, right? Like they lose the twenty percent. Is that still correct? So if they paid it in wages, it would be well, right 100% now, deductible. But if they pay it as per diem, it's only 80% deductible to the carrier. True. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, Department of Transportation meals, you have the 80%. For 2021 and 2022, restaurant-provided meals are 100% deductible. But going forward, yeah, you're going to look at an 80% deduction there. So in this, this case, the employer. What, what we've seen a lot of carriers do, um, and this really has confused the issue. I wish the carriers would just eat this uh, and move forward. But what a lot of them have done is, let's say that the driver was making 50 cents a mile in pure wage. When they institute a per diem program, their accountants must be pointing out all the ways they're going to, this is going to cost them more money. And they, a lot of them have put programs in place where, okay, instead of 50 cents a mile as pure wage, we're going to pay you 40 cents a mile as wage and eight cents as per diem. Wait a minute. What happened to the other two cents I used to earn? (laughs) And and they, they put out these, you know, documents that show the driver how, well, yeah, you lost the two cents here, but you're going to make it up in taxes. And well, some do and some don't, you know, you can't make a blank statement blanket statement like that. It depends on everybody's tax situation. I have found that most of the time, if drivers have to give up two cents, it's usually not worth it. If they give up one cent, many times it's it's not a bad deal. If they have to give up nothing, it's a win. Uh, I wish the carriers would just, you know, eat that little bit of extra cost. And you would think with the environment we've been in for decades with driver shortages, they would, but uh, they still want to play around with that one and two cent difference. Yeah. The employers also, if they're having to pay out gross wages as a reimbursement, you know, or as a component of compensation, 
they're having to pay payroll tax on right. that amount as well themselves. And so they're saving that when they switch to a reimbursement plan. And then the, the driver just has to provide uh, documentation, right? Which they already do. That's kind of the um, only thing. It, in, and now, sure it, they do. now yeah. it's even automated. You know, it used to be the driver filled out a, a physical logbook, turned that into the carrier. That becomes the carrier's documentation for their time away from home. Now it's all automated with the ELDs. There you go. So I wish we had more. Yeah, pretty easy for the yeah. company driver. I wish we had more accountants advising trucking companies on why they should do more of this. Uh, but we can encourage the drivers to to talk to your carriers about that. So if you have any questions about that, they can certainly call today. You brought up another point. I want to run something by you. I, I had a crazy idea about this. Um, you mentioned if they, if an employee driver had a business as well, this is obviously right. you can't just, you know, dig into the code and find a specific answer to this. I've tried. You, you got to interpret this. So I'd love to get your interpretation. Let's say, for example, we decided we wanted a sales force for what we do here to, to promote our services and we market directly to the trucking world. What if we were to set up a, an opportunity for employee drivers to become independent uh, advisors, consultants, marketers for our services? And we, we paid them a, okay. a percentage or a commission for every new client they brought to us. So now when they're out on the road traveling, they're also traveling and promoting that business of theirs. Would that fly? You know, it potentially could. And, you know, the, the operative language in the Internal Revenue Code when it comes to deductible expenses is Two, two, is twofold, ordinary and necessary. Those are the two things you have to prove for your deduction, for your expense to be, to be deductible. Ordinary meaning this is common in my industry and necessary meaning I need to, to expend the, these funds for my business to be profitable long-term. Okay. And so if we can make that argument that our expenditures out on the road are necessary for this business that I have. Um, it's a, it's a question of, okay, uh, are these expenditures related mostly to this business or this other business? You're, you're getting paid two ways while you're out on the road. Do we have to do some kind of a percentage split? Got you know, it. we might need to on some, it depends how aggressive you, you know, how, how you feel about uh, proving out, those two measures are they ordinary and necessary and how related they are to each. Got it. Okay. And so it's not always a, it's a subjective measure, right? <laughs> yeah. Like just about all the million pages of the IRS code. That's why, uh, that's why we need to hire people like you uh, to make those arguments for us. Well, I mean, and it's not even, I mean, the IRS has their own materials that they've, that they've printed to interpret the law, but the law is what it is. And, and the tax laws are passed by Congress and the internal revenue code 
The IRS doesn't really have power to change that. They like to interpret it. They've been tasked with enforcing it. But when it comes down to it, you could disagree with the IRS's interpretation in some cases, and you would take it to a court and a judge to determine whose interpretation is actually correct. The IRS doesn't have a default that they're correct. They're not the ones who That's make good. the rules necessarily. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It is. It is. Interesting. Here was another opportunity we came up with. One was just kind of a, uh, you know, almost a, a sales rep kind of role where, where they would be selling our services. And, you know, we could kind of make the argument, look, it, it's really hard to reach truck drivers. Advertisers struggle with it all the time. They come to us for that reason. Um, what better way to reach them than being out on the road where they are every day? Mm-hmm. The other opportunity we thought could possibly work for this, we, we do a lot of work around nutrition and health, and we've even created a training program specifically designed to teach people how to work with truck drivers nutritionally and health-wise. It's a whole different world. They're out on the road. Their food choices are very limited. Uh, it's a horribly unhealthy uh, career. So what we do here, mm-hmm. um, there's three and a half million truck drivers on the road. And the majority of them are very unhealthy. We would never touch a tiny percentage of that doing what we do, but we could train other truck drivers to do that exact thing. They could be nutritional and health consultants and they, they could do that while they're a full-time employee as a driver this would be something they do on the side. And again, what better way to reach their clients than to be out there on the road with them every day? I think it's a a case that can certainly be made. We might have to uh, talk a little bit more about that then. All right. So I think we've kind of covered the company drivers. Um, I thought it was going to be simple, but actually uh, there might be some opportunities there. So (laughs) let's, uh, let's move on to the, the, independent contractors now what um what are some of the big things you see as far as mistakes or missed opportunities i think number one and i'm sure you've gone over this many times is choice of entity mm-hmm. right you've got Good. the s corp versus sole proprietor and that's that's really that's really your choice as an owner operator is are you going to be a sole proprietor or are you going to Set up an LLC, tax as an S corporation, pay yourself a W two wage, and then take draws as well. Um, that's a big one, and there's some major savings there. Things can go. Sometimes it's not as uh, cut and dry. The question of whether to be a sole proprietor versus an S corporation it depends on everyone's situation. But uh, typically, the more uh, you're earning. Uh, yet the more that the S corporation makes sense. And certainly the more, you know, the, the, I guess the Delta between what you're earning and what your, what your wage is. Right. Yes. Yeah. How much, I, how much you're actually working because if you're not working very much, but your, your business is very profitable. Well, the S corporation makes a ton of sense. You know, I, I always give an example of this, um, when I had my fleet of trucks, I got to the point, they were leased to FedEx. 
Um, I had been doing it for a couple of decades. I had really good drivers. I had a really good shop. I was so hands-off on that business, I almost couldn't calculate how many hours I worked on it in a week because there were some weeks I didn't work on it at all. I, it was that it ran itself. Right. And yet it generated on most right. years somewhere between 75 and 100,000 in profit. And I, you know, I don't know why, where this ever came from, but so many accountants I talked to wanted to do some 50-50 split all the time. And I'm like, well, what's the logic behind that? The way I read it, it's based on how much time I work in the corporation. And I said, I barely work an hour a week if I average it out. I said, I think I'd be pretty safe taking 10,000 of that hundred as a salary. And they were shocked. They didn't even want to hear that. Was I wrong? No, no, you're not wrong. I mean, that is the principle is you need to pay yourself a reasonable compensation. And that's, that is what it is. Um, You know, sometimes accountants and CPAs can become a little bit risk averse and worried that they don't want to have that conversation. And so paying a very low wage, like in the case where you were, uh, might, might invite scrutiny. And then you might have to have the conversation of what is reasonable. In your case, there's plenty of evidence uh, that you were paying a reasonable wage. It's just having that conversation that got them scared. Yeah, that's kind of their job, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And look, win or lose, it's their job. I'm not saying you have to guarantee me you can win this argument, but you have to at least be willing to go make it. Correct. Yeah, the ratio, I mean, some some CPAs stick to, it needs to be a ratio of draws to W-2 compensation. You you do hear 50-50 a lot. And I always tell people, you never need to pay more than what you'd be making doing this job working for someone else. That's the ceiling on your compensation as an S corporation owner. I, I'd love to hear that. That That's why we work with you. That, that was my point. And here's the thing. It's so easy to calculate that in trucking probably is in most industries. I mean, truck drivers mostly get paid by the mile. We know how many miles you put on last year. Here's the average that a driver makes. I certainly wouldn't pay any more than that. Like you said, that's the ceiling. That's the ceiling. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's happened, and I'm sure you're dealing with this with with your clients that are doing this, the average wage for an employee driver in the industry has gone up quite a bit in the last couple of years. First time in a long, long time. Um, we we've seen significant yeah. gains in that. So that will change that calculation, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not something you can just kind of set and forget, you know, reasonable compensation. The IRS, if they're going to have that conversation. They're going to want to use any argument they can make to push it up. And if there's data showing recent increases, that <laughs> they're certainly going to use it. Yeah. Yeah, so the the general idea here, without getting too deep into the weeds, is that as a taxpayer, we would like to pay ourselves the smallest wage we can get away with that saves us more employment taxes. We take the, the additional money as draws. We pay tax on it. 
but we get to avoid the most of the employment taxes. The IRS, on the other hand, wants to make their argument that we should be taking more as a salary because that's their job to try to get as much blood out of us as they can, right? Right. And these days, after that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that we discussed earlier in 2017 with President Trump, it's twofold, the savings. By keeping your wage as low as you can, as is reasonable, uh, you're saving Social Security and Medicare tax by converting some of your compensation or some of your earnings from compensation into draws. But the other thing to consider is there's this qualified business income deduction that was created in 2018 as a result of that act, which is 20% of your K-1 earnings if you're an S-corporation owner or your net earnings if you're a sole proprietor. That's right. And so the, the lower your W-2 and the higher your K-1, the larger that deduction becomes because it's 20% of the K-1. And so if you're paying too much in wages, if you're paying more than is reasonable, then you're paying too much employment tax and you're also missing out on that qualified business income deduction. That's important. That's a big deal. You're right. That That's some of the new stuff that, you know, even though I tried to dig into that and read as much as I could at the time, uh, because I just don't keep up with this stuff every day, uh, it, it's really hard. That That's a, a great point. Um, so... Let's kind of wrap this one up uh, again without getting too deep into the details. The the thing here, this could be a huge opportunity, maybe one of, and I'm sure that's why you focused on it first, maybe one of the biggest missed opportunities if you haven't explored this yet. You may find that, oh, and let, let's explain why we we need to make sure that we get a big enough savings. I mean, we, we could look at everybody and say, if we made you an S-Corp, there would be savings tax-wise, right? But the question is, can we offset the expenses of having Maybe not. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I should, you can't make blanket statements about anything in taxes, but there's a good chance yeah. we could look at most owner-operators and say, well, sure, if we had an S-Corp, we could save you some money. In some cases, though, it might not be enough to overcome the expenses of having the corporation, correct? Yeah, there's always that cost benefit that we look at when clients are kind of looking at this decision. And a few things that go into it, like you say, there's the cost of filing an S-corporation tax return, which is much more involved than a sole proprietor Schedule C. There's more accounting. The trade-off to there being more accounting to that is, in my experience, the IRS is less likely to scrutinize the expenses on an S-corporation tax return because you have to tie that out. There has to be some accounting that goes into what's on that uh, profit and loss statement. There's a balance sheet that gets re- reported on that tax return. You can't just make something up and throw it onto an S-corporation <laughs> expense right. listing. but. A sole proprietor literally can. I mean, yeah. a sole proprietor puts the income and the expenses, and there's no tie-out of cash or debt or anything else. And so if, if you wanted to cheat, it's much easier to do on a sole proprietor tax return. And so as a result, those get scrutinized more often. 
It, that's a good point. And even, like say, even one of the places the IRS may have to go to investigate, you know, b- bank accounts, there, there's, we never recommend this, but there's no reason. And, and I'm sure a lot of, you know, independent contractors do it. You can mix and mingle all your money, right? I mean, you can use one checking account to run your personal life and your business if you're not incorporated. I would, uh, you can, but the risk with doing that, even as a sole proprietor, is the IRS saying, this isn't a business. This is uh, a hobby. Yeah, Therefore, none point. of your expenses are acceptable. <laughs> do you, do you, and so do I would never recommend would, that, and I'm sure you yeah, wouldn't we, either. Yeah, we don't either. Um, it, it, there's another yeah. whole rabbit hole we could go down the whole hobby versus business thing. I think we'll skip that one for right now. Yeah, we I, always want to make business activities look as business-like as they can. Yeah. Make sure, yeah, do, go out there and get a dedicated bank account. Go out there and get business cards printed yes. up. Yeah. You know, make sure you're holding yourself out there as open for business and, you know, attempting to make a profit here. That type of thing. Yeah. So I guess here would be my advice. I'll see if you agree with this. If you haven't explored this with your tax preparer, or even if you have, maybe you should go back and revisit it again. Um, Get them to give you a definitive answer on would this make sense for you or not. And I would say if your accountant seems to be afraid of this or really discourages you without even running any numbers, you should probably get a second opinion, right? Possibly. There are a couple uh, instances where I think it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it might not make sense to switch to an S-Corp, or at least not switch as soon as someone else would. That would be if you have a W-2 job already where your earnings are over the Social Security wage base, and so your self-employment tax as a sole proprietor is only going to be the Medicare portion, Okay. and you're limited to only 2.9% then the savings are not going to be as dramatic in an S-Corp setting. That makes sense. So that, that would slow down the, the, the change. Another thing that, uh, th- that I've run across is if a sole proprietor is employing his or her own children that are minors, there's a tax break specifically for sole proprietors that allows them to pay them wages with no employment taxes, no, fi- no FICA tax. And so that could be a benefit that can oh, save a lot of money what? where if, if their children are working in their business, sole proprietor makes a little bit more sense potentially, Got at it. least for longer. That, that is uh, an awesome segue because my second question was actually about paying your children to work in your business. I wanted you to, to cover this. That was a great way to tie in the two. So this gets a little more complicated now because now if you're an owner operator and you have kids and you'd like them to work in your business, which I highly recommend, I think there are a lot of uh, benefits to doing this uh, tax wise and, and otherwise. Um, but now you should probably have a, a you know, a meeting with your tax preparer to say, look, we want to maximize our, our tax deductions here, which makes more sense. Should we be an S corp and then not be able to get that advantage of paying our children without a bunch of taxes in there? Or should we skip the S corp and pay our kids instead? And we can come to some conclusions, but you've got to run a lot of numbers, right? 
You do. Um, the other thing is, you know, the savings to me, this is one of my favorite potential uh, tax saving strategies is employing your children in your business. Mine too. Because number one, you're reducing self-employment tax. You're taking that income and you're moving it from you into your children's tax bracket. And if this is their only income, it's often going to be a 0% tax, right? Right. Because they have a standard deduction of 12000 and change every year <laughs> right. they can earn without paying, without even having to file a tax return. Mm-hmm. So you're saving the income tax from your tax bracket down to what's likely a 0% rate. You're saving the self-employment tax, 15% generally. And now you've got, uh, so that's probably a 30% plus savings just there. And then what I love to recommend to clients who are doing this is now that your child who's working in your business has a W-2, they may not even need to file a tax return. Let's say it's only $10,000 a year. Then they have earned income. Yes. And earned income is necessary to contribute to a Roth IRA. So if you can get a 13-year-old to start maxing out a Roth IRA <laughs> and can start doing that at that age, that's money that will never be taxed. Ever. And so Ever. it's, it's, that, it's just the holy grail of tax savings. It, it's hard to get across to people how big of a deal that is. You know, we, we spent years trying to help people understand the difference between their Roth contributions and their, their uh, traditional contributions. And the trade-off was, look, I, I, I'm a big believer in the Roth. It's the only way you get some money tax-free. Every other retirement account, it's just tax-deferred. You're going to pay tax on all of it at some point. With the Roth, you actually your earnings right. are tax-free. The problem with it is people really balk at making that contribution when they get no benefit from it today. What do you mean I have to put that money in there and lock it up and I can't get at it and yet I get no tax break? Well, you do. You're just not getting it now. But if you have some patience, you're getting a much bigger break. Well, in this scenario, we can forget all of that trade-off. There's no trade-off. The child doesn't need a tax deduction. They're not paying any tax on this money anyway. And we can now get it into this retirement account where they will never pay tax on the money or the earnings. Yeah, I yeah, I can't say enough about it. It's it's uh, probably the best tax break I can think of. You know, with all things considered. And then I like to go a step further. One, we don't want to just pencil whip this. We don't want to say your child's working for you when they're really not. I know a lot of people do that, and it'd be really hard for the IRS to prove or disprove a lot of that. My point is, though, really take advantage of this. What a great way to build a relationship with your child, spend more time with them, and teach them about business and money. Right. I mean, the, the, the potential earnings from those lessons at a young age might outstrip the tax savings mm-hmm. from the Roth IRA over yeah. their career. Yeah. Get, get kids. I will involved. say, like, like you said, you, you can't just force this because it's such a great tax break. The IRS knows it's a great tax break and they know <laughs> right. it's, you know, a hundred percent legal, not just legal. It's encouraged. It's right. been written into the tax code so that people will employ their children. The, uh, you know, the government thinks this is a, something to be encouraged here. And so the IRS says, okay, that's fine. You can do it. But if you're going to take advantage of this, you better be doing it. Right. So it will get scrutinized more often than, 
you know. One of the things I did when when I had children that I could do this with and, and paid them, their first job every time they sat down to work was to create a log of their work. That that was part of their job. You have to document the work you do. And that created the, the paper trail if I was ever audited. No, here's exactly what they were doing that day. And part of their job is documenting it. Yeah, for sure. So definitely just to, need the documentation of something like this. I would also recommend pay them, you know, as they're working. Don't kind of just uh, let them work and then pay them at the end of the year. Good point. That looks a little bit fishy. Yeah. Yeah. So and anything you can do to kind of shore up your documentation and. Yeah, I, I would even say, I'll see what you think about this, rather than some sort of a salary or a set amount, really pay them for the work they do, whether it's hourly or piece or, or whatever system you want to come up with. But that would seem to me to strengthen that, that they're only getting paid when they're actually working. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you want to pay them just like you would anyone else. As far as the rate and that, you know, the hours and, you know, and, and then you want to document that. Just to, if you do that, you're going to be just fine. Just to give people an, an example of the power of this. Um, and we should probably talk about this too. age appropriate work and, and that kind of thing. Of course, like everything else in the IRS, it's uh, open to interpretation. Uh, you know, we started paying our kids. I started paying when they were seven, eight, nine, right, right in that area. And it, they would file paperwork and, and do things like that. And it seemed age appropriate to me. We showed them where if they made just $75 a month doing this work, and, and that's pretty darn reasonable. We're not even coming close to the limits we could have pushed on this. But we showed them where, look, if, if, we just take this entire $75 and it goes into your Roth. And we do this until you're 18. We pay you. That money goes in. And, and it, let's say it never goes above $75 a month. And when you turn 19 and we can't do this anymore, you go out and get your own job or your own career. If all you do is con continue that $75 a month till retirement, we did some basic calculations using the S&P 500 as the investment. And these kids would retire with like $6 million. <laughs> yeah, it's powerful. It, it was incredible how powerful it was because they start so early with this. Yeah, definitely. So real quick, um, age-appropriate work. You want to cover that one? Yeah, I mean, it's it, just like anything else with the IRS. It, it's got to be something that we can defend, something that we'd have to sit across, potentially a table from an auditor and say, here's why we do this. Here's why it's ordinary and necessary. You know, I would have to pay someone else X dollars to do this work. I can get a discount by employing my child who's already there. You know, I don't have to worry about them showing up for work. I don't have to, you know, you can make a case for yourself as to here's why I've hired my child. Here's why it makes sense for the business to hire my child from a profitability standpoint. And if you can prove that, then I, you're going to be okay. 
I like that argument. I, I like that one a lot. That one makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I would try to give somewhat of an example. I would say, you know, it's, it's probably not reasonable to, to think that your six-year-old help you, helped you rebuild the engine in your truck, but it, it's certainly reasonable that a, a 10-year-old helps you wash the truck and, you know, brings tools to your mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, a lot of opportunity there. And if I remember right, it's children, grandchildren, stepchildren, and foster children. Is that right? I, be- I believe so. I'd have to double check to be sure. Yeah, same here. All right. So um, we've got some calls. Um, I don't want to keep you longer than an hour today. So do we want to go to calls? Do we want to cover some more uh, potential opportunities? Any th- any other big ones you can think of? Um, so that was a big one as a sole proprietor. Uh, you know, one that I like to bring up to clients who are S corporations is, uh, renting out your home to your business once a month for a business meeting. Oh yeah. I love this one. Taking advantage of the Augusta rule where you can rent out your home up to 14 days a year and you're not allowed to treat it as a rental property. If If you live in the house for over 14 days as a residence, and then you rent it out for fewer than, you know, 14 days or fewer, then the income is not taxable and the rental related expenses are not deductible is what the, is what the rule says. So, uh, you're not allowed to deduct maintenance on your home. You're not allowed to deduct insurance. You're not allowed to deduct HOA fees or other rental type of expenses. You can still take your mortgage interest and your property taxes Mm -hmm. as an itemized deduction, just like a residence. But conversely, the income is not taxable to you. Now, it's still deductible in your business, in your S-corporation. Right. But no, no income on the personal side. That's a, that's, you, that was that's one a powerful that, deduction. That was one I was not aware of at all um, when we started working with you, and, and you helped us implement that one, and the savings are pretty incredible. You know, after you kind of introduced me to this, I went and did some digging on it and I was fascinated by, you called it the Augusta rule. And I'm pretty sure I know why the masters, right? That's correct. So when you think about it, if there's a big event (laughs) in your town and you could rent out your home for a week for 3000 bucks a night and you can get $20,000 every year, that is tax-free income. Yeah. That's how it's written up in the, in the rules. Yeah, so, so people who live near oh, big annual events like the Masters or the Kentucky Derby or things like that should absolutely be looking at this. The other one I thought was interesting was when the Olympics come around. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Sturgis. Oh, yeah. Maybe. There you go. Yeah. Another big one. <laughs> yeah, so there are times where you can uh, get these crazy, you know, short-term rental rates because the demand goes through the roof. And if you're in this situation where you could, you know, claim that as as a, a tax break, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Another uh, another opportunity. It's no longer really a forward-looking opportunity, but is kind of going back in 2020 and 2021. There are several tax credits related to COVID that can be big difference makers. 
sole proprietors often miss out on the paid sick and family leave credits that could be taken on the 1040 if you had to miss work uh, because you had COVID or you were seeking a diagnosis or you were quarantining or doing such for a family member or if you had to miss work because a child of yours had a daycare or a school that was closed due to COVID or COVID precautions, uh, there's a formula that multiplies your self-employment earnings times some some rates and the number of days that you had to miss. And there's maximums on the days, but I've seen these credits be huge for people who had to miss substantial time. Uh, And so that's something that you could go back and look at and amend a tax return if you had to miss work due to COVID and you made some pretty good, you know, self-employment earnings as a sole proprietor. Now, if you're an S-Corp owner or you're uh, a company driver, that's taken care of through payroll. It's not done on the 1040. But for self-employed, or if if you're a partner in a partnership that has self-employment income, then that's a big, uh, big credit for 2020 and 2021 tax years. Excellent. So a couple things come to mind. Um, One, we've got calls, so I want to get to them. Two, I, I, I'd love to give, you know, real actionable advice when we talk about this. You and I could go on and on about this. I mean, we, we have barely scratched the surface. We didn't get into a lot of details on these. And part of that is because I'm not sure that it's helpful to get into a lot of details. You know, the, the I, I've tried to do this in the past, and then I'll say, you know, take this to your tax preparer and question them. And there's a total miscommunication and um, this stuff is fairly complicated, unfortunately. So it, here's my advice. Go to your tax preparer. Ask them, what opportunities am I missing? Just like we did with you today. And if they can't talk like this and give you these ideas or they, they just seem really reluctant to, to step outside their norms, I, I would start looking for another tax preparer and at least get a second opinion. Go go somewhere else and ask that same question. You know, look at my tax return and what opportunities am I missing? You, you just covered thousands and thousands of dollars in potential savings. And it's been my experience that most accountants just don't do this kind of stuff. They, they take the information you give them, they fill out a tax return, and they ship it off and you're done. I just don't see a lot of, you know, real tax planning going on. And especially if you're in business, you should be doing this kind of tax planning at least once a year, in my opinion. So I I would say go talk to your tax preparer. If you don't get these kind of answers, then you should get a second opinion. Um, The other thing I'd like to say, because a lot of this really is good information, um, when we have guests on and, and we just run out of time, there's just so much to talk about. We've started doing things, we're calling them mini-series. So uh, I'll kind of put you on the spot and ask you, could we continue this with uh, part two or three at some point or however long it takes us to cover this stuff better? Uh, I would be thrilled at that uh, at that opportunity, Kevin. Thanks. Excellent. I think yeah, we... Uh, we have just completed or booked another mini-series then. I love that. All right. So we'll, we'll work on those details. We can uh, – the nice thing about it is we can, we can work around your schedule and, you know, we'll, we'll get this done. And then we have on our app now, we're able to separate out mini-series. So if people want to learn about taxes, they can go listen to it uh, at their leisure. So I'd love that. What do you say we take some phone calls? 
Yeah, let's roll some calls. All right. Let's go to John in Minnesota. John, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I have some other questions if you want to bring me back in the second hour. But uh, sure. my tax question is personal vehicle miles. Uh, the deduction on that. And can you include the gas that you bought on that trip with the personal vehicle miles? So I don't know if you want me to take that, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just kind of cover that issue? I mean, you can answer his question specifically, but I'm sure you have a lot to say about the, that deduction in particular. Yeah, you bet. So, John, I imagine you're talking in the context of a owner-operator, not a company driver, W-2 employee, correct? That, that is correct. I'm sorry I didn't explain that. And, and so in that case, yeah, you can deduct miles put on your vehicle uh, that are related to your business, but you have to choose one or the other. You can take the mileage rate, which changes, it, changes every year. The IRS sets it. Uh, you know, for the coming year, sometimes they change it throughout the year. You know, there's wild swings in costs, but uh, they take that mileage rate, multiply it by the miles, and that encompasses depreciation, fuel, insurance, tires, repairs, washing, etc. So that's all. Isn't in that one. Like, any idea what that rate is right now? Oh, it's like sixty-two cents or something right now. Oh, I wanna say. yeah. Well, that'll easily they, they, they change it. The it's, it's been 55, 58, 57, and then it jumped up this last year once gas prices and fuel prices went up. So, uh, okay. yeah, you can, and you know, in my experience, uh, the mileage rate typically works out better if you're not using your vehicle very often, or mm-hmm. let's say you're you're like me and uh, you have a uh, older sedan that you're going to run until forever. Uh, the, the actual cost of operating that is actually pretty low, right? If you, if you have a 1991 Toyota Tercel and it's still running and you paid $3,100 for it, the actual yep. cost depreciation and et cetera is going to be, is going to pale in comparison to the IRS mileage rate, which is a average rate for, you know, kind of the average vehicle. Now, meanwhile, if, if, if you're a, uh, you know, you, you, you've got a one-ton pickup and you buy a brand new one every three years uh, and it doesn't get great mileage or fuel economy, then, yeah, the, the, uh, the actual cost of operating that vehicle is probably going to be higher than the mileage rate. And you can pick either or. Okay. That answers that question. I do have some other questions for you in the next hour if you get time, Kevin. All right. So uh, I will put you back in the queue. You can hang out there if you want, and we'll come back to you on the other questions. Let's go to – I almost picked him right back up again. Let's go to Michigan. Tom, it's your turn. Uh, Hi, Kevin. Uh, I'm an independent contractor. I just had a quick question. Uh, While the truck's in the shop, is there any chance can you – can you claim any lost wages on your taxes for that or anything? Or? So if you're a cash basis taxpayer, Tom, uh-huh. then you're going to include the cash earned and deduct the cash paid for expenses, but you're not allowed to take any kind of deduction uh, okay. for lost time. It's just you, you don't have income. 
you know, for yeah. you know, for the time that you're not you're not working. So Okay. That's a common I didn't question. know if I was uh it, Yeah, I didn't know if it was a little bit I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You gentlemen have a good afternoon. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. You know, Travis, um, when I did take a lot of tax questions and calls and worked with people, that was one of the hardest concepts I used to have to explain. People just didn't really w- grasp that one. They, they really thought they had a loss. And I, I said, well, you didn't really have a loss. You just didn't have income. So you're not going to be paying tax on it. There, there's nothing to get a tax break here for. But I used to really struggle with that one. Yeah, I think it's tough. People can, it's, it's a hard concept for people to accept that how come I'm treated the same way when I've had this calamity, either, you know, I've had an issue with maintenance or, or I had some, you know, something happened with sickness or whatever. Versus someone who's just hanging out, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. not working at all. Yeah, right. Why not treated the same? So, yeah, yeah. But uh, unfortunately, that's kind of the system we're in. Yeah, it, it, and honestly, as much as I disagree with a lot of our tax code, this one does just make sense. I mean, you're not being cheated of anything here. You're 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 not. You're you're. You know, the example I used to try to give was: Well, look, I really think my time on the air is worth two hundred dollars an hour. But nobody pays me that, so do I have a loss? Right. <laughs> I mean, when people volunteer for charity, is it not oh, yeah. where, hey, yeah. I typically charge out at 200 bucks an hour, and <laughs> right. I'm out helping at the food bank. Can I take a deduction for four hours, 800 bucks? I said, well, no, you can't. No, you didn't no, you can't. pay anything. Right. So, right. There, there's a difference between aggressive and cheating. volunteering, yes. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, and we always like to make that distinction. We like to be very, very aggressive on taxes when we have an argument to make. When we know we could sit there and, and look at the IRS agent and say, this is why we did this, and we have some justification for it. There are other times where what some people are doing is just plain cheating, and there's no justification for it at all. Right. All right, let's uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Texas. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, fellas. Um, so I'm a I'm a new owner operator. I set up my entity as a sole proprietor. Um, at what point, just a ballpark figure, it would make sense to start looking at it as corp? You know, like net profit or. Are y'all there? Uh, yeah, we're here. I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I would say, generally speaking, first of all, if you set up a sole proprietor business, I would first of all recommend that you set up an LLC in your state. And the reason for doing that is when you set up your business entity, you usually have, depending on the state and how how it works, some kind of state registration, some some number that's been assigned by the state. Uh, you know, you may or may or may not have some kind of excise tax or other state filings to, to take care of for your business entity. And then if you want to a couple years down the road, okay, now I'm making enough money and it makes sense for me to become an S corp. Now you have to go and do it all over again. Well, if you uh-huh. set an LLC with your state, that LLC can midstream, you know, two to three years or whenever 
it can make the election with the IRS to be taxed as an S-Corp without changing the underlying entity or having to set up a new one. So you don't change anything with your state, but you can be taxed as an S-Corporation with the feds. So I'd recommend that, number one. And then with the, the compensation level, I typically say, you know, you have to do payroll as an S-Corporation owner. And if you're not doing that before because you're just the only person in the business, you don't have any other employees, that's a, that's a significant change. And then you have to file an S-Corporation tax return. So I tell people, you need to be saving at least $3,000 in tax savings for you to make up for the additional administrative headache and cost of filing an S-Corporation tax return and filing payroll and going through, jumping through all those hoops. So if that's uh, you know $3,000 worth of savings, and if it's at 15%, you can just kind of do the math back into that right okay yeah um i'm in texas so there's no state tax and i did not set up an llc or anything else and, it, and it's just set up in my name i don't even have a doing business as i just set everything up in my name and uh my ein number and everything and I, and then leased on with this the company that i was a, a company driver for for a couple years so so and then, me, I, you know, I like, let, and then, let me jump ahead. in there real quick, Brian. I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to clarify what you just said. Travis, on the EIN, that's a federal form, but don't we indicate what entity we are there? I mean, and by default, if you do yes. nothing, you're a sole proprietor, right? That's right. And, and a sole proprietor, an individual with an EIN, still needs to set up some kind of entity with the state for that to be taxed as an S corporation with the feds. So either a corporation or an LLC, but an LLC can be taxed many different ways. It can be taxed as a sole proprietor. Yeah, right. And that's the default right. when you make no other election. Yeah. So, so you kind of oh, skip a step okay. by starting off that way. So, oh, uh, okay. All right. Travis, as far as I'm concerned today, this may be the most important thing I just learned. I don't know why I never thought of this, but you just created some more work for me. We have a course where we teach people how to get into business, and we, we go through all these lists of requirements, your filings and all that. I've got to go back and change this. This is a great idea. I, I love, It's so simple, but I love that idea. Uh, uh, <laughs> It saves a lot of headache down the road. Yeah. And, and it also makes it a lot easier for you to make that transition. It eliminates some of those barriers uh, to becoming an S-Corp later once the earnings are such that it makes sense. Good point. I really like that one. So, so, so the, back to the... Go ahead. So, so, so yeah, there's not like... The either, go Go ahead. Back to the numbers that you're asking about earnings, you know, if you need to save $3,000 in tax to break even on this deal, that's about $20,000 in earnings. Now, remember, that's not 20000 That's not the first 20000 that you'll earn because you have to pay yourself a reasonable wage first. And when you're paying yourself a reasonable wage, you're indifferent to S-Corp versus uh, sole proprietor. You're paying the self-employment tax or the payroll tax either way. So you need to be making at least $20,000 more than you than what your reasonable wage would be for an S corporation to pay for itself. Okay. So until you've exceeded your reasonable wage by at least 20,000 in earnings, sole proprietor is still probably the right move. 
Okay. Okay. All right. That sounds good. And then, um, I guess I'm just gonna, uh, I was going to just kind of delegate or hire ATBS to do this, Kevin, is that, or, or are you, um, or is this, so yeah, purpose so, of this call, you know, our your your tax guy is he taking new clients or yeah? Let me address that first off. I, I'm still a, a you know I know all the owners at ATBS. I, I was a part of their company. I sold my accounting company to them. Worked with them for a year. Still love what they do in trucking. Um, I've said over the years that that they're big enough that sometimes you get lost in their system. You know, sometimes you end up with a. a, a, a rep or whatever they're calling them, um, that isn't all that great. And, and it can kind of be a struggle. Sometimes your accounting doesn't get done right. Sometimes you, you don't get that close personal attention. Now, if you're with them, absolutely go to them and ask them all these questions. Okay. But as big as they are, sometimes you can get lost. They, they tend to work a lot with uh, lease purchase because they, they market through the carrier directly with a lot of carriers that have lease purchased. They, they have big numbers, great company. I love what they do. But the kind of people we want to work with, the, the, the owner operators we want to work with, are almost at the opposite end of that spectrum. We want to work with the, the top 5% of earners. I mean, that's always our goal to, to get the people that listen and, and follow us to, to become that, that top 5%. And at that point, I would say ATBS is not your best choice. And, and um, Travis, you and I didn't talk a lot about this, but we do have a form. We tried to make this as easy as possible um, so that we have a form you can go fill out. Um, you answer the questions. Uh, Travis's office will get that form. And then that starts the process. Correct, Travis? Did I get that right? That's right. Yeah, I think it's right there on your website. And there's some questions that you can fill out and send it our way. Blake in our office heads up kind of our trucking uh, services. He's kind of probably our premier expert in that in the right. field. Uh, and he'd probably reach out if someone wanted to. Blake is excellent to work oh, with, okay. by the way. Really, he really is. Okay, could you give me uh, some kind of a ballpark estimate on what, you know, like partnering up with y'all would, would run me a year? or uh, Depends on everything you have going on. Uh, you know, I would say right. Someone, right. someone who's an owner-operator who needs just an income tax return done, it's probably going to be, I don't know, four to $600 is a decent guess if it's, you know, kind of simple. and. Uh, you know, well, I, well I was wanting more than... I was wanting more than that. I was wanting more of kind of like a, uh, a mentor where, you know, where they could help me and, and, and work with me to make sure I'm getting all of the deductions. And then, and then, you know, learning as I go, because I've filed all my own taxes since I was my very first job at 15 years old. And, but I'm not comfortable doing this one because I'm going to have depreciation and all kind of everything. Everything is deductible. Right. I, right. You know, and, and, you know, and I've been, you know, I'm on profit gauges, Kevin, you know, I pay for it. I track everything. I, I have your Excellent. whole system, you know, your whole system. I, and, and, and bought your program and all that. And I've got the folder and, and everything, but 
I still need, and I've talked to ATBS on the phone a few times, and I just wasn't comfortable yeah. with them. I mean, it's like. Like I said, they, they, they have their place in the industry, and I'm glad they exist. They've helped a lot of people. I will still recommend some people go there. You would not be somebody I would recommend. You're already doing your own accounting, okay. which is what we you should do. If you want to be successful, you need to know your own numbers. Don't let somebody else put them in because you won't understand them. You're already doing that. So for you to partner with Travis makes much more sense. And, you know, the, the opportunities are there. You can set up, you know, meetings and calls to go over this stuff. And uh, I, I think this is a much better fit for you. Yeah, like a concierge kind of service is what I'm looking for. Just a mentor, everything, and I'll pay whatever. But, but yeah, but so this, you know, I just went into business in August 1st. And uh, so I will have W-2, and I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting until after January where I'm going to have my W-2 for half the year, and then I want to get this ball rolling. Is that, does that sound like a plan, Travis, or should I start it now? Or <laughs> uh, I mean, I have just heard to get in contact early and let us know kind of what you need, and yep. we can kind of set up a kind of a personalized okay. plan to see, to see what's best. Okay, I'm gonna. And you said all this info's on your website, Kevin. Where yeah, at exactly? Yeah, let me give you a couple ways that you can find this, and we'll try to come up with a couple more ways uh, to make it easy. Right now, you can go to letstruck.com. Uh, if you hover huh. over the listen tab at the top, you'll see tax questionnaire. Click on it there. The other opportunities, it's actually a little easier to find if you are a member of Trucking Tribe or Healthy Tribe. Um, we have a post there oh. about this, and I'm trying to keep it at the top. I keep moving it back up to the top while we're talking about this. Uh, so if you're on either one of those, that's the easiest place to find it. You'll see a, uh, a, a very handsome shot of... Uh, Travis there and uh, <laughs> click on that. It'll okay. take you to the questionnaire. Yeah. Okay. I see it right now. I'm not very active on either one. I am a member, but cool. All right. Well, I will. Thanks for taking my call and, uh, and for your time, both of y'all and, and uh, yeah, yeah, let's just yeah. keep on trucking. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. All right. Take okay. care. Um, Travis, you are a popular guy today. The phone calls have just kind of exploded. Uh, are you okay on time? I mean, we won't, don't want to keep you too long. Uh, yeah, I can stick around for another few minutes. You bet. Okay. Let's try to get through some more. Oh, hold on. I just, uh, I just tried to put John back on. John, it's not your turn yet. We are going to go to Kansas. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Kevin. Uh, I have a simple question. It's, uh, I've been an owner-operator, company driver, down company driver, or company driver again now. But I, I just want to—I just wanted the opinion on the last presidential election. They were talking about postcard taxes, and everybody was excited. Nobody really got a lot of information as to exactly what they were talking about. But I just wanted if what 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 y'all thought about 
I'll jump in real quick. Uh, In a sense, for a lot of taxpayers now, I think they almost could create a form that would be about the size of a postcard because of some of those tax law changes. I don't think that really exists. But all they were talking about was a very simplified form where because you're not taking a bunch of itemized deductions anymore, that we could really simplify a tax form for most W-2 employees. Um, Travis, I'm sure you have more to add to that. Yeah, I mean, the form itself these days uh, isn't super complicated, certainly if you're not itemizing. But what they've got, you know, there's always talk, certainly when you get into election season, there's always talk of, we're going to simplify the tax code. We're going to streamline everything. And it sounds really good. And it sounds even better to me because <laughs> the reason the tax code, the internal revenue code is, you know, thicker than the Bible is because people have tried things and they come up with, you know, various strategies that get uh, flagged. And the IRS says, wait, hold on a second. We don't agree with this. Let's make a rule. And so these rules all exist to kind of head off these different strategies, usually. And if you got rid of all those rules, well, now you could be as creative as you want. So, you know, the the more simplified it becomes, the, the more opportunities there are to come up with some kind of strategy. Well, what, the way the way I understood it, the reason everybody was complaining uh, that, that wanted to not do that was because it wasn't fair. Well, forget the word fair. I, that that word drives me crazy. <laughs> Although one of the best tax proposals I've ever seen is called the fair tax. I, I still just don't like the word. Um, there's never going to be anything about paying taxes that will be fair. I, honestly, here's the way I see it. And it's never going to happen, but we pay taxes to support a government for the things that we want government to do. Part of the problem is government is doing way more than they should be doing. But even set that aside, if that's the case, we pay taxes to support a government because we need services. One, either try to come up with some system where the more services you use, the more tax you have to pay, which is unbelievably complicated. Or you just say, look, we all just pay the same amount. Whatever it is, pick the number. We all have to pay it every year. That would be the only fair way. I I don't really think any of our tax codes ever going to be fair. Um, Here's the other thing to remember. You mentioned this and you brought it up because politicians were talking about it. That's your first clue. 99% of the politicians probably can't fill out their own tax return. They don't even understand the tax code, but they know it makes for great talking points. Well, I mean, I have actually addressed my CPA with all this. Now I get to drop jobs. Well, I, I, then you probably need a second opinion or a new tax preparer. Oh. At the very least, they <laughs> well, should be able to answer your questions. Well, it just, it just seemed to me like if you're running, you're working at McDonald's, you're working at KFC, because these people are all working three different, three different uh, uh, fast food joints. 
Yeah, they already know what they make. End it. There's no reason for them to go down there to the Walmart down to the uh, tax oh, repair, it, pay them two hundred dollars. Well, you know the the last tax law change that Trump made got us closer to that than anybody else has. But that was also the rule that was so hard on employee drivers because they lost their per diem. So there were some unintended consequences to that. We are going to move on. I want to get to some specific questions here. Let's go to Steve in Pennsylvania. Steve, that line sounds very quiet. Anybody there? Hmm. Steve, I'm going to put you back in the queue. We might be able to get back to you uh, in just a second. We'll try again. We'll go to Alabama. Chip, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Great, great show. And you were talking about employing your kids. Yes. Like uh, my son has a roofing company. Like... One oh. of the things you can employ them for, oh, hold, make a hold, little... Uh, hold on a second, because I have a feeling we failed to say something important. Uh, Travis, they have to be under the age of 18, correct? That's right, yeah. Minor children qualify for that. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah I understand that. Uh, um, my son has a roofing company, and he has small children. Oh, got it, okay. But one of the things to employ his... One of the things... Uh, to employ his small children, like make a little video about his company and post post it on a website or Facebook page, would that be something you could pay your kids for? I think so. I think so. Long awesome. as it's ordinary and necessary. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Look, I we have a uh, one of our partner companies, uh, Fleet Air Filter. Um, David Counts, the founder of Fleet Air Filter, owns several businesses. He owns a, uh, a big RV repair shop. He builds really, really high-end custom classic cars for clients. He's got a towing company with a, a contract on I-10 down there. I mean, the guy's all over the place. He Now, that's clearly a business, several of them. He had his children, when they were young, do their commercials. I mean, he did TV commercials and all kinds of things, and he had his kids in them, and it was really successful for him. Okay, and uh, like, he drives a company truck. Would another job be cleaning the company truck, or since they do mileage on that truck, is that, can you not pay for... Because you said something a minute ago about washes and stuff were included. Yeah, that wouldn't have anything to do with his business, though. He's an employee in the truck. That's not a business for him. The roofing company is his business. No, I'm talking about... Yeah. I was talking about having the kids, say, clean the truck as... Oh, the work, the the truck for roofing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that you can still pay to have it clean, even though you're doing mileage on it? Oh, you mean... I, I see the question. Uh, yeah, I mean, now I get it. Okay, Travis, you take this you, one. You have to pick one or the other. Yeah, you got to pick one or the other when it comes to my, you know, expenses that fall under the umbrella of the mileage rate. You can always take actual expenses, too, and depreciate the truck. 
it, in my experience, a work truck like that is not, they're not taking miles. They're going to be taking the actual okay. yeah, depreciation fuel. Okay, I don't, I'm not sure how he deducts that, but I was just going to give him some ideas of what he could do. So. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Great show. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Um, Travis, do you have time for one more? This one, uh, I think, is kind of a good topic. Yeah, you bet. All right. So we're going to go to Pennsylvania. Doug, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Travis. Uh, I'm mentoring a younger driver, and he is hell-bent on getting into a lease purchase on a brand new truck hell bent on it and he showed me the lease purchase agreement and there was one paragraph in there that I questioned and I couldn't answer and that paragraph read very simply lessee purchaser is not entitled to claim depreciation. How would he handle that on his taxes? He just takes his lease payments as an expense. Gotcha. So, yeah, leasing versus owning, it, the, the waters can get a little bit muddy on, on which is which. And if something is a lease for tax purposes and accounting purposes, or if it is a purchase. And there are some rules, some bright line rules that say, you know, if there's a bargain purchase option, if you can buy the truck for a dollar at the end of your five-year lease or seven-year lease or whatever it is, that's a purchase. Whether, you know, we can call it a lease on paper, but if it makes, you know, all the sense in the world and he's definitely going to exercise the option at the end, then it, then it is a purchase and he's going to depreciate that and he's going to treat his lease payments like a loan. In- there's a couple other... Uh, requirements that can be met to be treated as a purchase as opposed to a lease. And so I I hesitate to put much stock into this agreement that says he's not allowed depreciation deductions. If he's buying the truck, he is allowed depreciation deductions. Gotcha. So, so, so there are if it, this lease purchase may be treated as a lease, it may be treated as a purchase. Yeah, and so if it's treated as a purchase, he's, he's entitled to depreciation. I, I Travis said, e- even though they put something in a contract, they can't write things in a contract that changes the law, correct? Right, exactly. So, right, so this particular sentence doesn't mean anything this issue we could go in so many directions on this i've struggled with this for years because we would prefer to depreciate it gives us more control over the deduction the problem we started running into with these lease purchases travis think about this these trucks are now two hundred thousand dollars plus these guys fail in these lease purchases about 90 plus percent of the time So now you've set up this depreciation schedule on a very expensive asset, and six months later, they're out of business. And it's just so common. And we got to the point where we started saying, look, it probably makes more sense to just take their lease payments. Um, And then there's the question of which one is it really under the law? The industry, um, I haven't heard this term in a long time, but this was big for a while. Fleets actually wanted leases. 
when they owned multiple or they were acquiring multiple trucks at at a time, the the dealers or the OEMs had actually talked a lot of these fleets into the fact that they should do what were called track leases at the time, TRAC. I think it stood for terminal residual accounting clause or, or something like that. And it was a way to say this truly is a lease and we're going to take our lease payments. And I think it had a lot to do with the when the Section 179 deduction was really low. Okay. Yeah, and then with a fleet, I mean, the Section 179 deduction has an upper limit. If right. You put so much into service in a year, you don't get to take it. And so, yeah, I could see if they're limited in their depreciation, they prefer a lease. Right. It, they it, just stick to their stick to their their cash out being their deduction. Yeah. When it came to so then because drivers heard fleets doing that, they thought it made sense for them and everybody kept saying, Oh no, leasing is so much better and it, it it's really not. And we tried to convince people of that and we'd rather deal with depreciation. But then like I said, these these leases failed so often that it just created a lot of complication. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it does muddy the waters quite a bit, and then you have to try to clean it up. Exactly. If you have treated it as a purchase. Right. We failed on the lease. And of course, so. you know, when you explain to these guys, well, we could take the Section 179 deduction and, and virtually have you pay no tax this year, but then they fail before that year is even up. It was just a mess. Right. Does that help, Doug? Yeah. Hey, I, uh, make I, it clear as mud. I, I have another piece of advice, though, that I think is more important. Because you're right, this is never going to be clear. It's never been clear. It's never going to be clear. It's kind of a mess, actually. Here's my advice. I, I you're mentoring him. Are you charging him? Not at all. Okay. Then here's what you should tell him. If you decide to sign this lease purchase, our mentor agreement is over. Well, I told him straight up, you want to do a lease purchase, run the other way. Absolutely, and, and use some leverage. I, I, I would do this. I would tell somebody, no, I, I'm not going to continue mentoring you. I, I'm trying to give you the most important piece of advice I can, and you're failing to take it. Why would I continue to waste my time? Well, Asking basically, this. that's what I told him. I, I told him, that, look, I, my guess don't is, do it. My but if you do, that truck, I'm done. If he wanted to go buy that truck today, it would be $225,000 or so. Ask him why he just doesn't go buy one himself. And I know the answer because he doesn't have any money and he doesn't have any credit, which is a horrible time to sign this deal for this kind of money when he should never be in business yet at all especially with the economy on a decline. Yeah, especially with that. All right, good stuff. Let's, uh, let me try Steve one more time, um, and then we're going to have to wrap up the tax part of this. Steve, are you with us this time? Yeah, I'm here. There you are. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay, I got a question. I'm, I'm an owner-operator, uh, leased on to a company. Um. I'm an LLC, so I'm looking to start my second business. So the money I take from this, 
to start the second business, how is that looked at with the IRS? How do I label that in profit gauges? Um, you know, how, how is that money so, transferred? Well, so as far as profit gauges go, I'll, I'll handle that for you. You basically ignore it in profit gauges because it, it's, it's profit. That I mean, if you're spending it somewhere else, it's obviously profit from this business. So there is no accounting for it in your trucking business other than it was passed on to you personally. Now you decide what you're going to do with that money personally, and I'll let Travis pick it up from there. Yeah, same same principle applies. Uh, if you have one business uh, earning money, that flows down to you. You're going to pay the tax on that. The IRS says, you do whatever you want with your money, your cash, after you've paid tax on it. You want to go start another business, that's fine. And if that other business loses money, you can take a deduction for that, and they could potentially offset. But, yeah, you kind of, you know, everything's going to flow down to you. Uh, and then, you know, you... You're not going to have that those two businesses kind of intermingled. You're going to kind of treat it as going to you first and then out to that second business. So with the second business, say if I was to give them a $5,000, I don't know. I heard the term loan. I guess like a startup loan. I don't know if that's used right. If I put that in the, into like the business account for the second business, um, do I have to fill out uh, a return for this year for that business if that's all – all I did for them? Well, if there's business activity, you would file a return, you know, probably a Schedule C sole proprietor tax return. If there's any income or expenses, if there's no income or expenses, then you wouldn't file anything. So all you did was, I wouldn't necessarily call it a loan. I would probably call it uh, an equity infusion or a contribution of equity. And yeah, there's no... you know, when it comes to a sole proprietor, that that's not enough to to necessitate a filing. It needs to be revenue or expense. Okay, well, that's what I was wondering. Would that be considered a revenue? No. For the second business, no. that they received money. No. No. Okay. Okay. Well, that's all I needed, and kind uh, of makes sense to me. So now I know which direction and how to label that. There you go. All right. Thanks for the call. Travis, um, we're going to let you go and get on with your day. I got to tell you, though, this is what uh, a show like this is what we refer to as radio gold. This was good stuff. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thanks for the the compliment of my picture, Kevin. I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah. I've always thought I had a good face for face for radio. It, well, so, I definitely do. Thank you. Yeah, that's for sure. We we know that. <laughs> so, all right, we will uh, I'm excited you've agreed to a mini series, so we'll we'll start getting some of that stuff scheduled and we'll we'll get you back and we'll create a uh, <laughs> very cool audio resource for people anytime they want to go review it. It'll be right there in the app for them. I'm not sure exactly what I agreed to, but let's do it. <laughs> uh, we we have the agreement; and it's recorded. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. So we're we're gonna look forward. Thanks for having to that. me on, Kevin. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Travis. We will talk to look you again, to again soon. Yes, thank you. All right. So. If you want to uh, reach out to Travis and Blake and and their firm, you can do that. We've made it really simple. Uh, The easiest way 
is if you are a member of Trucking Tribe or Healthy Tribe, uh, just log in. You will find the post. I have been trying to keep it at the top to make it a little easier. Um, click on the link, fill out the form, and the process gets started. It's that easy. Um, if you're not a member of Trucking Tribe or Healthy Tribe, you should be. So just go sign up. Just make it easy on me. Go sign up. Uh, if you're not going to do that, then you can go to letstruck.com, hover over the listen menu item up at the top, and then you'll see tax questionnaire. Click on that, fill it out, and uh, we'll help you out that way as well. All right. So we are going to continue on with a, uh, a free for all till we run out of questions. Right now, we've only got one. So uh, I'll take that one. If you want to jump in with anything else, you can. I can attempt tax questions. I can still answer a lot of them. Honestly, I could probably answer about 95% of the tax questions we get. Uh, I just don't like to answer those last 5% where I don't keep up on all the rules and all the numbers. So it was awesome to have Travis here to do that for us. But if you want to call... um, I'll give it my best shot, or you can call about anything you want. It is now officially a free-for-all till 10 o'clock. So we've got about a little less than 30 minutes left at 10 o'clock. Mike and Kevin Beckett will be jumping in for rolling toe. So if you've got questions for me, jump in now. Let's go to Minnesota. John, welcome back. Hi, Kevin. So I have a, my radiator, one of the pipes coming off there is dripping next to where I had it brazed. I'm wondering if it would be safe to put flex seal on there in, in your opinion. Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, it, it, we're, Good. so how, what is the leak? Is it a hole in something? Is it a loose fitting? Maybe not just, clamping down tight little, enough. Just a little drip where I had it brazed because it was wasn't feeling right. So we Just think a the slight the, drip. The braze itself might be the leak. There might be a, a leak through where yeah. the, okay. So in that case yep. I would probably can you wrap this? Is it in a place it could be wrapped? Not really, because there's another shroud right next to it. Got it. Cause so I'm wondering if I stick it, some paste in there. The pa- Yeah, I was going to say there's a couple ways you could do this. One way might to be to rebraze it. Um, that would probably be yeah. my first choice to rebraze it. It probably wouldn't be that hard. Um, but I, I wouldn't have a problem with putting a little bit of paste on there. Uh, that stuff works pretty well. The, the the better fix when you can do it, if you're looking for something that holds even better. This one doesn't sound like it's now. Are, are, can you tell what it's doing under pressure? Is it just dripping when it's under pressure? Uh, yeah, it's OK. It's not leaking when it's sitting there and then it's it just dripping under, when it's under pressure. It. So that's a pretty and, and I'm minor Repli- leak and that's I'm pretty- replacing the radiator in the in the spring because I don't want to completely I want to yeah. road salt so I just want to hold off a little while longer that makes sense so, slap, slap some paste on there it should work just fine 
Yeah. Um, the other thing was, I was going to tell you to set a uh, alarm twenty minutes before the Beckets needed to come on because the <laughs> you know last two shows I kind of forgot. Forget. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, other than that, fair tax now and have a good weekend. Have a good holiday. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kev? I was great having uh, Travis on there for that info. I'm a company driver, but, I mean, that's real good for everyone else to hear all that stuff. Those guys are so good. You know, the the whole idea, and I've kicked this around ever since uh, 2016 when they, or 17, whenever they passed that uh, Trump's new tax plan, we kicked around the idea of creating an opportunity for company drivers to have that business, even though they're an employee, to have a business where we could get the per diem deduction back, plus a whole bunch of other deductions. And it sounds like Travis thinks that that uh, could be legitimate, so we may pursue (laughs) that. When I I had my trucking thing in office, I had a guy, we were at co-op, was like four of us together, and uh, we had a guy in uh, Brooklyn, Pat Tim, this guy was unbelievable, I mean, he was so up on everything, the amount of money that, you know, that we were able to save, and, uh, you know, and, you know, get was rightfully ours, it was amazing, but, so, yeah, I give know, those I, guys a lot of credit, I just didn't have the patience at the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, Travis, to me, when it comes to taxes, he's like a street fighter. You know, he'll, he'll get down in, uh, in, the, in the trenches there and, and fight for what he thinks is right. And, and he's pretty aggressive, but he's aggressive on things he can back up, that he can make a reasonable, legitimate right. argument why we did it. And the biggest thing with that, a lot of people don't realize is, it's, you know, first of all, he even says it's interpretation. And second of all, is document and and and. and and then, you know, being able to prove, like you said, writing stuff down with your kids and all. The second thing with that is, is to me, is consistency yep. until the ta- that tax laws change. You know what I mean? Good if point. you're consistent with your taxes all it's all along, you, you know, the, 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 your chances of getting ordered are slim to none. But the minute you say, oh, all of a sudden, boom, you just explode this big thing on, that it's going to pop up as a red flag. Yeah. You know, when, when, um, yeah. when I first started doing taxes... We had the, the reason we were able to grow that business so fast, even though I had no real accounting or tax background, I was mostly self-taught, was we and I'd love to say that I developed this idea myself. I didn't. Um, I found a local tax preparer at the time. I was new as an owner operator. I had been through three or four tax preparers in my first three years in business, and I wasn't happy with any of them. And then I found this guy. And he had come up with this really aggressive scenario based on the two-check system. You know how we've talked about there, there, there used to be a lot of owner-operator yeah. opportunities where you actually got hired by the company as an employee, and then they rented your truck from you. So in essence, you were an employee. That was big in car carrying. It, it was. It was big in. Um, it was big in the areas where unions were stronger. I, I actually. Yep. Uh, yep. I yep. actually had that. I had a contract like that for a while. I was being paid as an employee by the union, and had um, had the truck being leased to them. So he took that idea, and he said, "Well, even if the company doesn't do two checks." What if we did it in our accounting? 
what if we show this amount of money goes to the driver being paid to drive the truck and we show this percentage goes to rental of the equipment? And the the advantage to that was at the time, the tax law did not clarify the fact that rental was what they considered, um, what's the term that they use? Uh, Passive. Rental income was considered passive income. It was supposed to be for real estate. And today, still, rental income from real estate is considered passive. You report it on your Schedule E instead of C, and you pay taxes on it, but you don't pay all the employment taxes because it's passive. He took that one step further and said, we're going to do it whether the company splits the check or not, and we're going to consider this rental income for the truck as passive income. Well, I took that idea, crazy, sad part to the story. Um, The guy ended up committing suicide, the tax preparer that developed this, and he had actually become a really good friend of ours. Um, Everybody in my family at the time was owner-operators. He was still doing taxes by hand. Um, this was in the nineties and I I can remember every year we used to have kind of like a little party at my house. He would come over to the house and all of us would be there with our tax returns and he would actually sit there and hand fill out the tax returns. Um, and and then, (laughs) like I said, the guy committed suicide. It was kind of tragic. But, uh, so I took that idea and said, wait a minute, there is a huge savings here for owner operators. Even back then, and we're talking about owner-operators making thirty, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars net back then. Uh, you know, it wasn't a lot of money right, at, yeah. at the time. We were saving people about four thousand dollars a year. That's ten percent of what they were making. That was huge. And back then, that was a fuel cost. <laughs> and when we got a new client. The first thing we did was go back and amend their last three years' returns. We used to get them ten to twelve thousand dollars back. Right. Nice. Then eventually, the IRS came out and clarified and said, "Oh no, hold on! This rental thing only applies to real estate. Every other rental of anything is a business, and it's not passive. It's active income, and it's got to go on the Schedule C. We did that for, I'll bet, 15 years or more, almost 20, um, before the IRS finally. That's nice, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we saved a lot of people a lot of money. They'll end up getting it back somehow, though. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, they always do. And then we'll come up with ways to, to get around that. Yep. All right. I got a couple like a question about like inheritance. My, my, my sure. mom passed away last year. My, but before she passed, she had set up the accounts for me and my brother. You know, we, ha- we were on the accounts. Okay. Now, we use some of that money. Now, do I got to claim that as income? No. Now, here's the interesting thing about inheritance. This is a really confusing part of the tax code because it, it's right. opposite of almost every other part of the tax code. In, in 99% of the tax code, the person receiving money is the one that has to worry about how it's handled for taxes, not in inheritance. The person right. receiving the money never pays tax. It's the person giving the money that might have a problem. I think 
I don't even keep up with this because I, I've never had to deal with this on a tax return. I understood it. I still understand it really well because it was a big part of the, the CFP training. We had to understand um, estate taxes and inheritance on really right. if, if, the, if the estate is worth less than $3 million, I don't think anybody has to even mess with any of this. Okay. That that money to you, the inheritance Alrighty. is just completely tax free. The only now, I again, like I said earlier, you you can almost never make blanket statements on taxes. If right, part, yeah. <laughs> if part of the inheritance involved retirement accounts, and that does happen, retirement accounts can be transferred at that time. There could be tax consequences there. If if property, yeah, see, I got that. I got too. I got one of them. Then, then the easiest we way got to, all of that. Yeah, <laughs> you you want a good tax preparer to look this over. None of these things are all that complicated, but they do need to be handled right. If there's property transferred, yeah, no, yeah. Let's say that you know uh, you yep. were you received a house. And the house was fully paid yep, for. Yeah, me and my brother did, yep. Okay, so let's go over that. Let's say it was fully paid for, all of a sudden it's yours, and it's worth $300,000 today, the day that you receive control of it, whatever day that is. Okay. We, we, have, to, we have to value it on all that right. day. Now, there's no tax, but that sets your basis in ownership. So if it was valued at $300,000, okay. that becomes your basis. If you were able to turn around tomorrow and sell it for 400000 you have a $100,000 taxable gain. Right. If you sell okay. it three years from now, you could have a taxable gain. But the basis on that gain, gain gets okay. set on the day you inherited it, whatever right. its value was. So, like the minute, like when the probate court says, "Okay, this is yeah. on, it's honored now." My mom's passing. They, I, that's so my, my, I mean, I, what's cool about it is the guy that does my taxes did my mom's and everything. So, oh, like when I, my, yeah. our retirement account, you know, it got it got slid right over. I just signed some e documents. Boom, the money went to my account. So he's been dealing with my mom for years. I've been using them. Perfect. So you know, kind of moved everything over. My brother, on the other hand, is a little different. He he didn't use them, but you know. But I just was curious as far as, you know, so basically, he, they, you know, he's been really good. He knows. I just didn't know how, I didn't, wasn't aware of it, the, the property yeah, being deemed. Because at that time when she passed, the prices were high. Now, 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 now the, the bottom's falling out. And we're, we're you know, we got it on the market. So and, I might get stiffed on that deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. You actually want, <laughs> you, you want it to transfer when the value's as high as possible. You want your basis set as high okay. as you can get it. The lower you set your basis, the bigger your gain's going to be when you sell it. Gain's going to be. Right. Okay, cool. So basically back then, they just go back to that date and, uh, you know, when we received it, boom, whatever the, the, the fair market value of the property was. Yep. And that's the basis. Okay, yep. cool. All right. I appreciate it, man. I, I said, I, 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 I knew I, I'm not worried about, so, I just wanted to understand it more myself. So, you so know what I mean? mean? And, and this way, maybe we could help somebody else that's been trying to do it. Yeah. So, so this is a great opportunity to explain how, no matter what kind of crazy tax laws they write, people will, especially people with enough money, will find a way around them. So <laughs> let's say you did have a $5 million estate. 
And after all is said and done and we can deduct certain things and there's all kinds of crazy calculations, but at some point there's going to be tax owed on this. It exceeded the, the limit and that limit changes all the time. The tax is actually paid by the estate. And then what's left over gets transferred. So the money you get is never going to be taxed, but the the estate will be taxed. Do you know what the rate is? I think you mentioned this once before. It's like 6% or something like that. (laughs) We wish. 50. Oh, wow. 50%. If your estate is so big, and I don't care how big it is, this is just wrong. If your estate is over the limit, and I think it's probably like three, there was a time when it was about a million. I, I think it has gone up considerably. But once you exceeded that, then the assets and the money in that estate were taxed at 50%. That is insane. It's criminal. Wow. It should never exist. So here's what happened. I actually had a partner. Um, I, I partnered with a guy who was a financial planner um, while I was going through to become a financial planner. I, I partnered with him. He did all of our financial planning. His day job, um, he worked for Mass Mutual, a big insurance company. And what he did was he sold these crazy high dollar insurance policies. Insurance, when you get money from a life insurance policy, that's never taxable. So if, if you are the beneficiary, okay. so in this case, if your mom had a $10 million estate and she's getting close to the end of her life, she would go to one of these insurance companies and she would pay them millions of dollars in premiums to get a $10 million insurance policy to cover her estate. And you would try to work it out as close as possible that the insurance company got enough money to make it worth it for them. But basically you turned the, at, the, right. the estate into a giant insurance policy and then the government got nothing. <laughs> wow. The insurance company made a bunch of money. That's amazing. Yeah. The, the heirs get all of their money with no taxes. And the only people that got screwed was the, the government. Imagine that. This yeah. is the way it should be, but we and, can't go there. And because, All right, I'll let some, because these policies were so high dollar, <laughs> my partner was getting pretty damn wealthy. His bonus every year, oh, I, I yeah. used to just wait for January to see what it was he was going to buy with his bonus that year. Many times it was just some, <laughs> some high-end car. You know, he'd go buy a $75,000 car because that was his year-end bonus. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Everybody uh, made out. I'll let someone else go. Thanks, Kev. I appreciate it. There you go. I appreciate uh, it. And hopefully you help somebody else. Yep. Take care. Let's go to Iowa. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I had a question about your uh, December 8th uh, merger. Um, and I ask, and not just because I'm, I want to complain about anything. I just, I just. I really don't care what you charge me for what I'm getting. I get more value than, um, but with the two mergers, there are two different, um, fees. And, um, so it's, you know, $3 each, uh, for each trucking tribe and healthy tribe. 
um, I just kind of wondered what was going to happen with that. Yeah, so the merger won't happen on December 8th. Um, the start of it will. You'll start to see changes in both sites, but they will stay separate sites for a little while. And I don't, that may be a month, that may be two months, probably won't be much longer than that. Um, so that's the first thing. There's not going to be any major differences in much of anything on December 8th, except the way the site looks and the navigation. That's our first step to start working okay. on that navigation so that when we merge the two sites, it's really, really easy to do. The, you, you can almost just forget the $3 fee for each site. That, that will probably just disappear completely. And what we will create is a, a tiered system. And, and we, we're still working all this out. There may be, just off the top of my head, there may be three price levels. Well, four if we throw in free. There will be there will become a free membership to that site again, like it used to be. So if people want uh, only a little bit okay. of information, there'll be a free option they can join. And we'll leave that free option there as long as we don't end up with a ton of headaches with trolls again. I mean, that's the only reason we charge. Now right. we're going to be charging because we're, we're going to be providing so much more value with this new site. But we also want to give a free option. So there'll be a free option. There'll be a very small paid option where you have access to the sites, but maybe not all of the information. There may be a mid-level, and then there may be a high-level where you get all kinds of value from us, be, you know, specials on radio shows. There's, there's a whole list of things um, we're going to be offering. So it's probably going to be like a three- or four-tiered pricing structure where we combine a lot of, you know, it, at one of these levels, you'll have access to all of our courses free. And, and some okay. of our courses well, are, are, to... yeah, are hundreds of dollars each. So, you know, the fact that we're going to put it all in there, make it free at this level, and then there will be a free level and then probably something in between. Okay. Well, I just wanted to be invested in it. And I, I just thought what you're charging for what I get is definitely... You can charge a lot more, and I, it's like I don't really want to get anything for free, and I would love to just keep well, I appreciate doing that. what I'm doing, but I'd certainly give more. Yeah, we, we really do appreciate that, and we've, we've actually had that request from a lot of people, that, that they, they want to pay more. What, a, what an awesome thing to have happen. Um, and, and we'll make that available. But, well, when but, you think of Netflix and, yeah, and Fox and yeah. all these other ones, they charge so much more and you don't even use them all. So I use your, your show every day. So uh, it makes only sense to the value yeah. equal to theirs. So, and but so one of the other opinion. things that – and I, I really do appreciate that. Um, I just feel like we're really blessed with, with a tribe that understands that and it, it helps us do what we do. Um, one of the other things that will be happening is just like the website will have a free option for a certain amount of access and information, the radio shows, all of our shows, my show, all the other shows, there will be a free option where you can listen to some of the shows, but then there will be a paid option that will get you access to more things. And we don't have the details yet. Maybe it's these, these mini-series that we do. 
maybe there'll be just an right. hour a day of live free-for-all that's free for everybody, but our more specialized shows are charged. Um, we're, this, this change that's coming is much more than just a change to the two tribes. It is a revamp of our entire business model. It, and one of the things we do have to do, now, now that we're off serious, we don't have that big platform, we do have to monetize this. I mean, I, I, I kind of committed to this first year we would try not to make any changes. We wouldn't raise prices. We wouldn't start charging for things that used to be free. And after I've seen what happened to our revenue in the first year, I, I have a responsibility to the company and to, to our, our clients and listeners. This has to remain profitable or we can't keep doing it. So we, we do need, now that I've seen exactly. a, a year... And, and we've been able to make it through a year, even though our revenue went down pretty significantly because we had cash. But I can't keep burning through the cash. So we, we've got to make some changes. Right. They're not going to be big. I mean, we, we, we have big enough numbers. We don't have to charge everybody a lot. We can, we can make this. Our goal, um, and this is pretty subjective, but our goal is whatever you're paying us, I want to make sure you get 10 times that back in value. Right. Yeah. Well, I support, you know, small businesses and uh, always want to keep them going. So if they need, just like you said the other day that you don't mind supporting, I can't remember what it was, but um, Elon Musk, I feel the same way. I paid his eight that, bucks a month for, yeah, the, for the blue yeah, check. Yeah, $8. And I could care less about that blue check. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just yeah, want to exactly. support what he's doing. Exactly. That's the same way. I feel the same way. All right. Got to let you go. I have got to wrap this up. I uh, Sorry, I have two callers left. This is the one day right now in my schedule that I really, well, I, I shouldn't say I can't go over. I'm going to go over a couple minutes. But uh, last couple weeks, I've been going over 10 or 15 minutes. And I know that's... <sighs> That's a little hard on the Becketts when they're sitting there waiting. So we are going to wrap this up. Uh, I will be back tomorrow. I haven't heard from either John or Joel yet, uh, but either way, somebody will be here. I'll be here. Um, somebody may or may not be here with us. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up. We will be coming back in uh, under 10 minutes with Rolling Toe. So stand by for that. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.